Hey, everybody, it is Trags, Mike Petralia, back with another episode of the Jungle Roar podcast. And it is my pleasure to welcome back, it's been a while, uh, the one and only Paul Daner Jr., uh, doing tremendous work for The Athletic, covering the Cincinnati Bengals and the NFL. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. Many of you already are, of course, I'm sure, at Paul Daner Jr., uh, all one word. Uh, Paul, welcome back. It's been a while. You know, it has been a while, Trags, and uh, my feelings are hurt. And, uh, it won't you know, be that I feel long I've taken it personally, even though maybe you didn't mean it to be personal. Uh, the fact that it has been this long since I've been back on the podcast, I, I've been trying to be nice. You know, I've been trying okay. to, I, I've been trying to, you know, maybe, maybe I, maybe I said something or did something, but I'm, I'm just happy to be back and know that we're back. I'm back in the good graces. Here's the deal. I know you're an extraordinarily busy human being oh, okay. the NFL and the Bengals. Well, sure. And there's news every that. single day on the stripes. Right, Paul, there, I there get that. So I don't want to infringe not, upon, not only upon your professional time, but your personal time. You have a lovely family. Um, you also, uh, I might be taking you out to dinner based True. on what might be happening in the next two days. So here's a backstory before we get to all the Bengal talk. It was OTAs, I believe. It's a while back. Yeah, it had to be back in the OTAs. Or maybe it was even, actually, you know what, Paul? I think it was around the draft. It was far back this way. It was right around 3 and 22. I mean, it It was was right around 3 and 22. That's correct. Which would put it right around um, when they were in the midst of that 3 and 22 uh, black hole. um, That would be the NFL draft, April 28th, 29th, and 30th. And I said to Paul, no way they're losing 100. Just it's 25 games. There's no way this team is that bad that they're going to lose 100 games. And it looked like for all the world, they, the Reds had my back. The Reds had my back. They, they were going to they're going to go a solid 70 and 92. That's what kind of I was looking at. And then September came yeah. and then they lost. They bookended their incredibly loathsome season with a four in whatever it's been uh 17 stretch a rough patch i think they call it. Uh, yeah, i'd say patch. a rough patch and uh pretty much mailed it in before it was hunter green coming to the rescue on monday night mm-hmm. through a six inning gem they wound up winning the game three one on a weird double play to end that game monday night so we've got two games we've got i've got luis sessa and Graham Ashcraft coming to the rescue to win one of those two games so they don't lose 100 and I don't owe Paul Daner Jr. dinner. And I I was not like, you know, here, you accuse me of being negative. Uh, and well, you said you broke out the Belichick line about how the negativity in this town is making you sick. I, I was just pointing out, I felt like the trade deadline at that point and the schedule at the end and the give up that was going to happen was going to be probably too much to overcome and put them in that direction after that start. I thought I was wrong. I really did. I thought I was wrong until I did not take into account the September white flag factor with just the total wanting of the season to be over. That would happen at the end. Um, But that's okay. You know what? Good for, good for them. Maybe they can, maybe they can scratch out a couple more wins, get the big sweep to avoid the one Oh, Oh. So yeah. Um, I don't think that um, was I lo- completely lost my train of thought um, with the Bengals. I mean, with the Reds uh, losing seven straight. That was what I wanted to say. 
the Reds losing seven straight to Pittsburgh, I was screwed. And I'm that's one I waved the white one. flag. That's uh, a that, tough one to overcome. When you're on the verge straight. of a hundo and you, you drop seven in a row to the Pirates who are somehow behind you in the standings, uh, that tells you all you need to know. All right, on to the Bengals. Um, yes. Two big wins uh, to close out September after starting 0-2. And I do think they are back on the right path. Uh, I like the way, for the most part, they looked in the two wins. Uh, I thought they showed some signs that good teams show that you win first with defense. And then if the offense is struggling, it'll come along. That's what I think the Bengals, where the Bengals are right now. And I'm not super worried yet about the run game. Yeah, I, I mean... There's a lot to unpack with the run game, and I think we're all trying to right now. Right. Uh, as far as are they, I mean, the it's the the things that we're all talking about and that people uh, fans are talking about is the same thing that the coaches are talking about internally of of trying to figure out which buttons to push to make the run game go. It's really the one thing missing, though. I mean, everything else has kind of straightened itself out. I think. They realized how teams are going to play them and kind of righted themselves in the passing game. They found ways to find explosive thanks to the Dolphins deciding to leave man coverage on T Higgins and, and give them a chance for some explosives and man coverage on Jamar chase. And, and, and so that for that fact, I think the passing game has kind of righted itself and, and Burrow's not like we said, after the opener, Burrow's not going to have games where he turns the ball over that many times. It's not going to be a thing. That's not who he is. It's not going to become that. And he hasn't. And this defense has been what I think we thought it was going to be from the very beginning, which was, you know, really the thing that people don't talk enough about. Again, it's like this continues to go on where it's carried them through these four weeks, kept the first two games close and been a, a major factor in the last two wins. And that's not going away. I mean, they have they have depth there. They have veterans there. They can sure. take a hit on the arguably their best player in DJ Reader and and keep right on trucking. And and we'll see what that looks like against better offenses. And we're still yet to see them again a full game against a starting quarterback uh, at this point. But I, I I don't you know we saw plenty of it last year and it's the same crew. So I don't. I don't have major reservations that all of a sudden Lamar Jackson's going to come up and they're going to put up a 35 spot on him. Um, but I'm with you. I think that they have sort of righted the ship and tapped into the complimentary football that they play and they find ways to win. Like there's just so much about the last two weeks and really the first, honestly, when you count the first two weeks outside of the crazy way they ended, that felt so much like last year. I mean, the Pittsburgh game should have been a win. You, I mean, yeah, how many times are you going to miss two chip shot field goals or a PAT in the 29 yarder and and then always finding a way to come back no matter the circumstances and then have some games where you blow them out. I mean, they are yet to be blown out. I just think they, they have all of those same elements. It's looked weird. It's been clumpy, clunky. The run game's kind of a mess, but the rest of it is still all kind of there. And you sit there at two and two. I think you feel good. Yeah, I do too. And you know, it's not spectacular, but one thing I, I liked and I what, what we heard Monday and you were in the scrum, I was in the scrum with Joe Mixon. He is showing leadership qualities, calling a meeting uh, with the offensive line uh, last Wednesday before the Miami game. He does want to get it right. And I think he has a desire, a drive to not only win, but contribute and feel good about his role on the team. And I think that matters to him. What did you make uh, of his comments on Monday? He held court for 20, 25 minutes. 
just yeah. talking football. I know. Yeah. The, that's one thing that's always been interesting to me about Joe is that he's a delightful guy to talk to when you do, he's not as interested in doing it all the time. And, uh, it, but then when he does, he'll, it feels like he'll talk forever and be very open and unfiltered and genuine and nice. And uh, it's just, it, so it's kind of an odd dichotomy, uh, but that part aside, yeah, I mean, I think that's always kind of been part. It's it's just a weird thing with the run game here and with Joe, not just Joe Mixon, but with the Zach Taylor, Joe Mixon run game. It's just been so streaky. I mean, they will go for like 20. You asked him that as a matter of fact. Well, and it's been like this. I mean, 2019, when they started, it was a disaster. He talked about how he was down for two months. And it's true. The numbers bear that out. They flew to London. They came back. They had a bunch of ideas on the table to try to spice it up. They did. He went from three yards per carry in the first seven games to four and a half yards per carry in the last nine and sparked everything and found everything. And you thought, okay, well, they figured that out. New staff figured it out. They're going to come back in 2020. It's going to be great. And it was bad in the first part of 2020. Then he got hurt. So 2021, okay, they got it figured out. They go the first, you know, 10 games, 11 games, and the run game is amazing. Four and a half yards per carry, eight of their 11 games, he's over four yards per carry. They're just killing it. And then the final nine games, they can't run the ball to save their life, 3.6. And until the Super Bowl, really, did they really even get any kind of run game going consistently? And and now you're back in one of these lulls again. And so it's it's like, it's just, they ride these waves and it's hard to understand why. And so at least he's comfortable digging them out of a hole because he's been doing it kind of his entire career. He has. Uh, and I just think that Mixon and the offensive line, he, he said yesterday, I'm going to, I love getting down and dirty with these guys because I think they are as committed to getting it turned around as I am. And I I just get the sense that Mixon is showing the kind of patience and leadership. Yeah, he's frustrated. And he made this point to us. He's frustrated during the games because he wants the numbers. He admitted as much. He wants to be a big part of the Bengals being successful. But when he's talking to us, you don't sense that he's losing his patience. If anything, he's like, I'm going to talk this thing through with the the guys that are in front of me and we're going to get it right. He's got a personality that's built to deal with this. I mean, he's he's overwhelmingly optimistic and enthusiastic, dude, whether it's OTAs and he's not participating or whether it's the Super Bowl. Like, you get the same guy energy-wise and, mm-hmm. and enthusiasm-wise, and that's important in this area where it's just a struggle. It can be down. I mean, when you take a bunch of carries, I mean, he's got second-most carries in the league, and when you take a bunch of hits and you're – just pounding your head against a wall for four games and getting zilch out of it. You know, it just, that can wear certain guys down, but that's not necessarily going to be the case with Joe Mixon mentally. You worry more for me physically, you know, we're now into a latter stage of his career. He's taken a lot of carries, a lot of touches, and he's a big, powerful physical guy how you you every lull from this point forward will come with the undertone of is this the end right is this the end and maybe it's and that doesn't mean that it is but that's where he's at in his career now at this point and he's not old but by running back years which are judged in carries and punishment taken 
you know, he's taken a lot and you start to wonder when the end might come for Joe Mixon. And so that's maybe the only part of this that is, I think, questioned is, okay, how much of this is Mixon? And when you, when you, you know, when you talk to people and you kind of watch the film, I I don't think a lot of it is Mixon. Uh, I think some of it is, but I think there's just a lot of new pieces trying to figure out how to work together in a element of football that is so dependent on chemistry and time on task. And, you know, whether it's a nudge here by a lineman or a hook here by the tight end or mixing understanding how Lael Collins is going to brush somebody down the line in that wide zone. It's a complicated thing. They've had four games together. I'm willing to give it a larger sample size than just four. Um, okay. When I hear Joe talk like he did yesterday, I st- start to believe that he doesn't always trust what he's seeing and he's waiting for that hole to open. And then he has that moment of indecision and then the hole's gone. Mm -hmm. That's point number one. Point number two, I'm really wondering whether or not it's time to like scrap the wide zone concept (laughs) and just go behind uh, LC, go behind L Collins. That's what you got him for. He's when he's effective and run blocking well on the right side. L Collins was one of the best run blockers for Zeke Elliott in Dallas that there was in football. Why not try that here? I mean, you really, I don't think in the run game, and uh, as far as the run game is concerned, you don't have a lot to lose. But isn't this the system that he was doing so well in Dallas? I mean, this should be where he shined. It's the system that he ran with Pollock when he was back there. I mean, it's not that different. Um, That that was always the thought, right? Is that him wiping out the backside of these wide zone runs and mixing using his ability to cut behind him was supposed to be the superpower of them as a duo. And we haven't seen it. There was a great run. Uh, it was actually a terrible run, but it was a great example of this um, in the Miami game where it was it was a tough spot for LC, but it's it was a wide zone in the, the lane behind LC that was supposed that's supposed to be there yep. was just wide open by 10, 15 yards. And there's the alley. But the guy ends up sneaking underneath Collins and blows up Mixon before he can cut it back. It's, you know, they it's it's such coach speak. We hear it over and over again. It's this close. It's one thing away. But that is the difference, right? It's one little piece, one chicken wing against a guy that can allow Mixon to do that cut. And there's a 15 yard wide open alley for Mixon to cut up. And suddenly things don't feel so bad. And those are the things I think they believe they're going to get right. I have questions whether it does um, how long that's going to take because you're now 82 reps in, but it does take time to get those things figured out. So I'm, I'm willing to say it's not totally doomed for the season, especially when you consider their history around here of having long stretches of good and bad. So um, I don't know if you've seen enough of it. I have fourth and one uh, going running 20 yards to gain uh, half a foot. I yeah. don't want to see that anymore. And I had fans and very loyal subscribers to this very podcast yell at me last week when I had James Rapine on and we mentioned this and they, they pointed out, well, you know, Jamar Chase had whatever it was, 15 yards in a similar situation against the Raiders in the playoff game. What I've seen so far, the Bengals aren't capable of executing that kind of play. And I would rather see when, when I see so many NFL teams in a similar situation, 
shortest line between two points is a straight line. Just go forward. And I understand that the Bengals also have trouble going forward, but I just don't want to see the stretch run on fourth and inches anymore. You know, they've been successful in short yardage outside of these two massive spots, you know, in plus territory on fourth and short, what, 10 and 13 on short yardage. And the and most of them have been by doing exactly what you're saying, Trags, and I think that's the point. The interesting thing about that play was apparently it was not meant to be a pitch. It had to be bounced because your boy, LC, took, they tried to run behind him, and it didn't work. And that that was where the gap was supposed to be, and it but that guy coming through there forced Mixon to have to bounce it to the outside to try to find something. It wasn't totally LC's fault, but it was through that gap. And so – you know, when you're trying to run behind a double team of Lel Collins and Akeem Adenogy and right there in that spot, okay, you're, you're trying to run behind the butt of number 71 on short yardage, and the, that's where the, the guy comes blowing through. Man, that is um, frustrating because then it ends up being what? A, looks like a pitch out. You're Zach Taylor. You just got done telling people you're never going to do that again, and it ends up looking like you called a pitch out again. It is what it ended up being, but you know, it's it, there. The, these things are always right. It's always one guy here, one guy there, one play there that makes right. it look awful. I agree with you that it's that focus more on just powering it up the gut and less getting cute to the outside. There is zero question about that. Um, I'm always interested when you start finding out the story behind why things go wrong and how and how they went wrong and how you just got to be like, well, certainly looks like we just caught a pitch again. <laughs> Uh, okay. I want to talk about one of the best podcasts I've heard uh, in a long time and uh, any podcast, but specifically, obviously Bengals related. It was a podcast that you had last Wednesday. I believe it was Tuesday or Wednesday. Help me out here. Yeah, it was that that was on Wednesday morning. Yeah. Okay. Wednesday morning. You had Andrew Whitworth, who was obviously in town, uh, for the Bengals Thursday night game. Uh, he's one of the, uh, Amazon foot NFL on Amazon prime talents um, studio talents. And they were obviously on site and you had big Willie, Willie Anderson, uh, the Bengals legendary iconic right tackle uh, on, on the same podcast. And you said it was one of the best podcasts you've ever done in terms of enjoying it and listening to the stories. If you can give us a synopsis, Paul, of some of the takeaways that made that podcast so special for you uh and jay what would it be what would you know it's a good well first of all thank you i i i was it was tremendous i didn't do much i i was i was the the hard work was getting them in the room together and so they have it i knew you know when when this when willie first was announced as the ring of honor person and we knew that was going to be the case and then all of a sudden it was all wit's going to be involved in that game i was like I've, I've seen them together before. It's, I think, you know, Willie was doing stuff at one point and they mm-hmm. would talk and I knew they were really close. And I always found the interesting part of them was the parallels of their careers, just because they both were so good on teams that were not talked about because the teams weren't good, but, you know, wit in the late two thousands and Willie in the nineties were, were great players on teams that didn't, get attention and it, for that reason they never got early pro bowls they never got the adulation they deserved 
and they were, you know, in Willie's case, this is pre-PFF, so people aren't understanding good players on bad teams very well. And then they both found some success and finally started to get some recognition. And then they both had nasty breakups with the Bengals. And they both went on to win their first playoff games elsewhere and get some love for that. And you you follow it's just and then they crossed over each other and really passed the torch to each other. And and Willie was a big inspiration in, you know, we always hear of players when they come in, talk about the guy who's who showed them the way showed them how to be a pro. And it's usually whoever the real vet was in the room for the first couple of years of your career. And for Andrew Whitworth, that was Willie Anderson. And he's always been very grateful to Willie for that. And I, but I'd never really heard them together telling those stories. And so I always wanted to kind of pick their brains on those situations. I had about 10 questions on my notepad that I never even got topics. Wow. That I never got near because you can't stop them when they start going into that, it, it really diving into it. And, and it, you know, I wasn't even involved. I mean, they were just going back, back and forth with each other like they were in the room. And that's what you want. Like, I, I felt like I, we had gotten the situation you always desire. You just want a microphone on the coffee table in between <laughs> yes. those two yes. when they start really hashing it out and talking about the topic that you're interested in. I tried to float a couple of topics and the one that got the most run was probably about their breakups with the Bengals and, and how they handled those. Willie talking about how it took him 10 years and I'd heard him say some semblance of this before, but how it took him 10 years to really come to grips with that at the team that he loved that he worked so hard for cut him. Um, it was so personal and it made him not like the Bengals and not until the fans started reaching out to him and contacting him through being on social media. Did he let that go and realize how much he actually meant to people here? And right. he never really felt that before. And then you hear Wit say, yeah, well, I'm still in the 10 year window. Okay. <laughs> and still pretty, still pretty fresh cut. And how much that still, as much as he, you know, I think has mended fences in general and, and, and understands and appreciates Cincinnati and, and the organization for what they meant to him and what the Rams meant and has great perspective. He's a guy with great perspective in general. It was clear that it's still he still remembers every detail of being in the precinct and weighing the offers and feeling disrespected and him and his wife saying, let's just stay. And then realizing the Bengals really don't want you and how much that still was in his mind. Like those details, that's just how players feel, man. And it feels when it feels personal at the end. And, and that was fascinating to hear them talk about the end of their careers and how they try to came to terms with the fact that the Bengals had, you know, loved them and then told them to, to leave. So Paul, the one thing that I'll, that comes to my mind first, and this is I probably very unfair of, uh, in my estimation of Andrew Whitworth, but I'll just say it. When I was walking down to the staging area after the Super Bowl, and I hear the first voice I hear on the field is Andrew Whitworth. And the first thing I hear him say, do you know what I'm talking about here? What I'm, about uh, I'm to trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. So I'm walking down to the, and I just gotten down because I would not wait on the stupid freaking elevator yeah. uh, up in the press box. I'm like, I'm walking down. So I walk down, takes me, you know, what, two minutes, not too long. 
And as I get down to the staging area, I hear the, the press conference going on the field, the presentation on the dais on the field itself. And I hear Andrew Whitworth say, and to the Bengals, the team that gave up on me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. In that moment, that's what he's thinking about the Bengals. He's that still that very bitter. Yeah. And that's all I needed to know about how he, you know, when you say he's still in that 10 year window, he clearly is still in that 10 year window because he has some bitterness and frustration about the way it ended in Cincinnati. And everybody does. Right. I mean, it's like, you go back to even in in season what we go up to these players when they go to play their former teams every we do it every week it's like oh cheetah bay Uze, you're going back to play dallas like that's got to be and it is right it is for all these guys and it would be and it is for us like i have look i worked at western road golf course when i was 18 years old i've never been fired from a job in my life and i was not fired but i was basically not asked to come back because they didn't like the way i was handling the snack shack okay between the ninth and i still remember that like i was doing a good job out there and they were the idiots that didn't appreciate the way that i was doing it i was 60 17 years old okay like i i understand what was going on out there and they didn't okay and by the way that place is just a a, a yard of it, weeds and mess. It does not exist anymore. It does not exist anymore. That, but I they still own the land like because that. they're idiots. Yeah. But anyway, that's a whole separate thing. I was yeah. proven correct in that. But I'm just saying we all have that. Like that's just in everyone's life, especially if you have any ounce of competitiveness and you and these yes. guys have piles of it. That stuff just never quite leaves you. And I've always been intrigued by how people feel like they handle exiting the game on a number of levels. Yeah. And it usually is a, you know, you deal with not being in the spotlight anymore and you deal with people telling you, you weren't good enough after everyone, your entire life telling you how great you are. And that is a really hard thing for guys to handle. And I also appreciate someone like Willie. And I think wit will eventually be there too. That comes back and is able to let it go. Corey Dillon, was a famous one for that, who I was honored to be able to kind of tell his story when he decided he wanted to mend fences, you know, seven, eight years ago. And he said, you know, he just was done letting it bug him anymore. He was done letting that be a part of his story. And, and I just think that comes with time and it comes with maturity, no matter how it ended. And it was cool to hear both of them talk through that from different sides of the line, you know, and I, and so for that part, I really appreciated the insight. Willie Anderson in the hall of fame, a subject that's going to get a lot of airplay, a lot of um, words being typed about it, but to have Bill Cower and Chris Collinsworth among others, um, stepping forward and, you know, promoting him for Canton. What do you make of that? I mean, I, I think it's real. I, and I think it goes back to what I said early. I mean, the, the bottom line is this isn't a discussion. If the late nineties Bengals aren't trash. I mean, you know, if, if those teams are any good, if they have any winning seasons that are any playoff run, and you have Willie plowing the way for Corey Dillon. I think they're both in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, in Willie in so many ways, like he says it all the time. You think I got good when I turned 30? You know, like, no. I mean, they, they didn't start paying attention to, to him until he was 30. That's when he started making Pro Bowls and All Pros. You think he got he got good at that point? No. And 
And I always was intrigued by PFF going back and running his career numbers. And it's, it's hard to do when you don't have it to compare against everybody else in the league from that point, but they went back and, and ran his whole career, not just when they started in 2006 and how he ranked versus everybody. And that's, you know, it's a shame that we didn't have that, but I think Andrew Whitworth will end up being the first PFF hall of famer and Willie Anderson, Hmm. hopefully uh, can kind of ride that same wave and have a shot to get in there. I, I don't know. It's hard, man. It's so political. I have my beef that I and my soapbox I get on. I won't waste your podcast time with it. I've done it a million times about the Pro Football Hall of Fame voting process. But uh, you know, I think I hope I hope it happens for him because I think he was victimized by, you know, being in a small market and being out of the eye in an era where people didn't notice those right. that were outside of the eye. I want to wrap up here with the great Paul Daner, uh, Paul Daner Jr. Uh, of The Athletic covering the Bengals and the NFL. Follow him on Twitter uh, at Paul Daner Jr. I want to wrap up with uh, a a feel-good story, if you will, about Joe Burrow. Uh, Everything has been talked about, written about Joe Burrow on the field, but on Tuesday, uh, he announced the launching of a nonprofit foundation. Uh, The Joe Burrow Foundation is designed to lead charitable efforts to address food insecurity and childhood mental health. I think these are two incredibly worthwhile causes. Um, Your thoughts on on what this means for the legacy of a guy that's only been in the NFL three years. But if things go the way, I think every Bengal fan hopes, the way the Bengals front office hopes, and he gets signed long-term after this season, uh, I think this would be a great uh, building block in the city of Cincinnati. Yeah, get that foundation in place before they pocket, you know, hundreds of million dollars <laughs> into your bank account for sure. Uh, you know, it's a perfect, it's well-timed. Uh, it but, is, you know, it is. but you know what's funny is I think coming out, you know, this was always going to be part, a big part of Joe Burrow, the person and the player. Um, as as you saw with the what he was able to do at LSU and obviously the you know the uh, the food pantry in Southwest Ohio in Athens and what the Heisman speech did for that and how important doing the right thing and supporting the right people and caring about places that are important to him has been very much front of mind he's very brand conscious that way and wants to help all the time you know so, but he wanted to play first, you know, he wanted to establish himself as a player before he got to, and, and I totally respect that and really understand that. And that's why I'm really, it's the one thing we haven't seen him go yet place. We haven't seen him go yet is this. And um, obviously it can be uh, something that lasts for his entire life around here and in Louisiana. And he has such a following and people are so wanting to help and be about what he's about. Uh, on and off the field that, um, you know, I'm excited to see where he takes it and and what ends up happening with it. And we saw what happened in Athens. And and I think it's just going to be really cool to see, you know, how, how this goes about changing people's lives because it will so many uh, and it could end up being, you know, a massive thing that has a legacy here beyond Joe Burrow on the field. The reason this hits home for me, and I'm sure it does you, we both have kids and, the, the whole aspect of addressing childhood mental health yeah. is incredibly important post-pandemic 
because of what the pandemic did, how it disrupted things. And I think for a superstar athlete to come out and give his name to this specific cause uh, is going to be incredibly helpful and worthwhile. Yeah. And I think, you know, he's in a unique spot to understand that and understand why this is an important cause. You know, we're seeing now this first generation of like real social media kids becoming adults. Okay. So when it became pervasive in our entire culture, no one ever really took the time to think about what this would do to kids that were involved in it. And, and we've seen things happen over time, but now you've got these kids, people that are Joe Burrow's age that are in their mid twenties, who, you know, when they were nine or 10 was when Facebook and Twitter and everything exploded and then and, and, and Instagram and you, you're, you're seeing yourself through other people's eyes and judging you and suicide rates go up and all this stuff that has happened. You know, he's in a really, and I'm so, I'm not surprised, but uh, you know, he has such a, a perspective awareness. on awareness of social media and he's yeah. very much in touch with understanding the good and bad of it and he goes dark and all those things we joke about with football yes. but but the real effect it has on kids i think is important and it's cool to see him addressing that and and i and it's he's the perfect type of person to understand that and and it'll be i hope he continues to do good things of it because yeah it was someone with young girls um i have scared to death about what will happen when they have to go down that road and i hope that we have a better world for handling it and maybe joe burrow will be a part of that i think it's a great cause and you know something that he clearly should be commended for and i'm sure he will receive tons of support for he is paul daner we have to wrap it up i want to thank you paul for joining me on this podcast and i do promise you a i pay off all bets Yes. Did the Reds not win their next two games? We'll see. And B, you will not have to wait whatever it's been 11 months for me to have you on my next Jungle War podcast. Just just have me on before James again next time. That's all. It's strictly I just want I just want to be on before James comes on again. Okay, so you're saying before I have James on again, I'm going to have Paul Daner Jr. You have to have me on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's it. That's, okay. all, that's all I need. You know I just what? need to make sure that I can rub it in James' face. His feelings are going to be so butthurt, and he'll really smile hurt. and go yeah. in the press room, and you know this. We'll yeah. sit in the press room, and I'll go, hey, just so you know, Paul was great, and I'm probably going to have him on again before yeah, yeah. you. And he's like, oh, that's that's fine. That's cool. And yeah. below the surface, he's going to be so freaking standing. You know? I would like for actually there to be an award given for most appearances on your podcast that we can put up in it, but no one else is counted. It's just me versus James. And we, there is a good question scoreboard in the, in the Bengals room. And uh, we don't have to um, tell you who's leading that score. Well, that was from, that was from one interview, but it's, it's, it's okay. I think this needs to be over the course of the rest of the season. It's just me versus James. Who's made more appearances on your podcast. And I want to, I'd like to be the winner of that. All right. And then we'll just hang it in his cubicle. Uh, That is a discussion that will be had uh, several times between now and the next time you are on this podcast. He is Paul Daner Jr. Follow him on Twitter and obviously uh, follow his incredible work along with Jay Morrison on The Athletic covering your Cincinnati Bengals. For the one and only Paul Daner, I'm Mike Petralia-Trags. Thanks for watching this episode of the Jungle War podcast.